Hey folks, this is the Investor Weekly News update for the week of April 3rd, 2023. If you guys want to get all these weekly newsletters on YouTube or the podcast, you can also check them out at simplepassacashflow.com slash investor letter. Let's get running into this first article, which the headline is Real Estate Billionaire Sam Zell Warms Hot Inflation Won't Go Away Anytime Soon and says Fed messed up. And they also say, here are three real estate assets to help protect your wealth. Now, this is a little bit of a rogue news source. And I'm going to point out these three things that they're talking about. They probably have links in there associated to go off other websites that do sell type of investments. And you'll see what I see, what I mean in a bit. But the first out of three is property. Well, it's true. The mortgage payments are rising. Real estate has shown its resilience in times of rising interest rates. Between 1978 and 2021, there are 10 different years where percentage of Fed funds increase, says Invesco. Within 10 years, I U.S. Private real estate outperformed stocks, bonds seven times and six times better than U.S. public real estate. The second out of third asset class that you're talking about is fine art. They're saying that S&P or outperformed the S&P a whopping 174% over the past 25 years. Artwork is becoming a more popular way to diversify because it's becoming a real physical asset. And the third asset that they mentioned was wine. I've had a past podcast on wine in particular. Not saying it's a good investment. I wouldn't do it. But they're saying that since 2005, Sotheby's Fine Wine Index has increased 316%. Of course, past performance is no indicator of future success. But they're saying you need a place to store it. And I would also say you need insurance on that thing as long also with the artwork, which is goes without saying with real estate. Residential wine cellars often cost tens of thousands of dollars. If the bottle is not stored at the correct temperature or humidity, it may be damaged. A little bit more resilient than running around with the uh, your LeBron James card and getting your smudgy fingers on it. I don't know. How do you quantify that in terms of you know, crypto losing your passcode? And that's why I don't really like to play around with it. But the one thing I wanted to point out is this is a rogue news source. They probably had affiliate links pointed for the wine and the the artwork going to whoever paid them the most money. So I just wanted to point that out, but they didn't really talk too much about Samzel. That was a clickbaity title. Now, this next one is comes from a little bit more of a well-known source, The Real Deal, talking about cash flow from Blackstone's portfolio not, no longer covers debt payments. And they're just talking about one of the many of them. But we've been covering this timeline over the past month. So just to catch you up, two months after the $271 million Blackstone loan secured, by 11 Manhattan multifamily buildings went to special servicing. The special servicing department is the, the naughty boy camp at the bank, basically. Moody's downgraded the CMBC debt, but the loan is still current. The portfolio's declining performance has been driven up by the loan-to-value ratio, putting the CMBS bondholders at risk. Moody's report found that the debt is now far greater than the apartment buildings are worth, which you know, I would probably say asset values, depending on what market you're in, of course, from 10 to 20% market values have gone down. Of course, the nice thing about real estate is you don't care as long as you can hold on to the asset and you always try to sell when times are good or when the market cycle comes back. The loan rate exasperated this problem that Blackstone had a floating rate mortgage on this. 
And the mortgage was underwritten at 3.8%. In 2009, interest rates have surged more than 4%, almost doubling or more than doubling and probably going to go up a little bit more. People read this one way. I would read this as Blackstone. They are the smartest cats out there. They're just using this as a maneuver to get a loan modification with the bank. And they're able to do that because they're the biggest behemoth out there. A Blackstone's spokesperson attributed the challenges of the portfolio to facing higher capital expenditures than anticipated and the floating rate debt. And the higher capital expenditures is obviously inflation went up by a lot. And that kind of impacts the profit and loss statement, their expenses. Most notably, I would probably say insurance has doubled or tripled across the board amongst many of your other line items within your expenses. It's just one of those things. It sucks the cash flow out of deals, but real estate is seen as a potentially long-term play if you can't cash flow in the interim. The market cycle will come back. And that is why Blackstone, the smart investors, invest in real estate. And that's why I continue to do it. If you guys want to jump on board and learn more about our group and get more involved, you guys can join for free at simplepassacashflow.com slash club. And once you sign up for that club, complete that really short form there. Probably takes you a minute and book a call and let's get to know each other a little better. I'd like to hop on the phone with you guys and see what I can do to help out your personal situation. And Blackstone is also buying affordable property in San Diego. Hiking up the rent prices, of course, right? That's what happens when a big group comes in and starts buying up a bunch of stuff because there is instantly a more about of buyers. So it tilts the supply demand. So as homelessness surges across San Diego County, pressure on affordable housing increases. Blackstone purchased thousands of affordable homes back in 2021 in San Diego County. As renters moved out, the company raised rents and some it's between between 43 to 64% in two years. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. They're probably raising it to market rents. But Blacks, if you follow, the reason why I follow guys like Sam Zell and Blackstone, the guys in the last couple articles, is they have a, a more long-term focus and they're property capitalized so they can feel out these bumps and these valleys. Like As I mentioned there in the last article, there are 11 Manhattan properties they're going into the realm of default on their loan. I'm sure it's just mainly, I think it's more of a strategic default, but they're still going in strong and they they invest off the fundamentals, which is this stuff provides real utility. Whereas going back to that first article, what utility does wine and artwork have? Of course, wealthy people, though top, maybe even higher than 1% value that stuff. But what utility does that provide the 99% of people out there. And that's why I continue to choose investing in things that provide value, real utility for the majority of the population out there. Here's a little synopsis of what's been going on. The SVB, Credit Suisse, the failure banks, um, FDIC made everybody whole. The usual thing about that SVB bank, the Silicon Valley Bank, was that a lot of the accounts were over that $250,000 threshold. And that's best for takeaway. Number one, don't put more than $250,000 of your money into a bank and get multiple banks just so you're covered under the insurance. But 
there was a unusual amount of people holding a lot of money in those banks. And they were all operating businesses. They weren't just passive investors or individuals. So it made sense, but they probably should have probably shouldn't have done that. But again, the SVB thing wasn't not systemic is the narrative put out there by the Fed. And, and I agree. It, it was to SVB. Somebody should have said, hey, let's stop buying these 10 year bills and let's buy the one or two years or diversify. So that doesn't really pertain to anything us accredited past investors do. We don't buy bonds and stuff like that. We're still looking to grow our wealth. We're not like a billion dollar portfolio. But that's, I think the takeaway, at least the takeaway that I took from the whole situation is diversify into multiple deals, even if you are heavy in certain type of asset classes. And I'm pretty heavy in workforce housing residential. I quite honestly don't see how it can get disrupted too much. I don't have enough money where I can just sit and grow my money at three or 4% in bills, basically. But a couple of weeks ago, Fed raised rates 25 basis points, and it's been a relatively quiet period before this next increase in rates. I'm sure we'll have another, we'll have some updates next week on rate increasing, but this is the lull between the, the announcement. I think the expectations are about a quarter point to half a point. I think the two bank failures, now we're like a two-week two, two week away in the rearview mirror. It's an afterthought. Some of you guys were impacted, of course. I'm sorry, but it just goes to show that you can just move on. The economy has moved on and the Fed is still on their warpath or their mission to lower the inflation as they should. So lessons learned here. This also came from an, another investor we're talking about developments and how do I pick, what is it that I can do to do diligence on a development? And I think doing due diligence on developments might actually be easier than doing diligence on a stabilized or a, a existing multifamily building. Existing multifamily buildings, you have a run rate, you have a P&L that kind of goes back years and it is basically you have a timeline or not a timeline, but a trend line that you can go, you can see the income minus expenses and you can extrapolate, we're going to increase the rents and this is what's going to do the income and the expenses and then extrapolate what is the net operating income going to be. Whereas in developments, it is a little bit easier, where at least the way I teach it is just look at the price per unit. What are you building it for? And what are you assuming that you can sell it for? There's your net profit right there. The A lot of the, the risk is in the execution of it, signing contracts, which is this falls into property or project management in a nutshell. But one of the big things that I tell people to look for when they go into a, a development deal, which typically have higher returns than your stabilized multifamily value add, is where are you in the timeline? There's a concept called pre-development. And I have a free course with this. If you guys want to get access to us, please join the club and shoot us our team an email. We'll get you access to this, this new section within the syndication e-course, just in developments. But the pre-development stage is what I see. I've been in deals where it just gets stalled. And I've seen all these deals that just get stalled out there. And this is all 
via just talking with other people within the community. These deals are like planes, they take off and then nobody ever hears about them unless you have people, you have a good community and circle around that what actually happened after the pop in circumstance. And congratulations, we closed, we completed the raise. I've seen deals stall out where the land wasn't entitled. If you're building an apartment, it wasn't entitled to be residential. This is what's called pre-development. And there are a lot of people that we've looked out there to use to go out there and buy the land and get it pre-developed into, get it work with the city, county, municipality to get it developed into residential. Then you take it over. And at that point, that land is considered shovel ready. You may have to build some plans and specs, but that's just, that's easy work. That's for an engineer to get that up, especially when you're doing such a cookie cutter just rinse, wash, repeat designs such as, you know, multifamily workforce housing, apartments, or a building, an office building, or something that's been done before. This isn't high, like luxury high rises that have some crazy architecture element to it. This is just very, very basic workforce style. So check that the project is pre-developed and the land is ready to go because that can be the biggest hurdle that might take you a year or two or maybe even three. The other thing is people ask, hey, there's a lot of like office space that's not being utilized. Who knows if office is going to come back into style? What about tying? What makes a lot of sense to take a lot of that vacant office space and convert it into multifamily? And just from lessons learned myself there, from an engineering perspective, that is some of the most difficult things to do because you have to kind of tie things in. If you're like a microchip guy who likes to solder things on the weekend, it's easier just to build it from scratch than to take a half broken one and fix it. Like when you, when your iPhone breaks, nobody fixes your iPhone. They just get you a new one that's been fabricated by the machine. The same thing. And that's from the engineering side, but also from permitting and everything. It just makes things a lot more complicated that it just me personally, if I were to do it, I would just rather do greenfield construction all day. It's just simple. You might have unforeseen conditions under the ground, but that's pretty minimal, if anything, than into tying into existing infrastructure. Um, other lessons learned, I personally, and this is all comes down to your personal investment philosophy. Everybody's going to be different. I personally would not do anything out of the country. Anymore. You just can't keep it all accountable. And the one nice thing about the United States is we have probably the, the I don't want to say the best legal system, but the legal system holds teeth. Contracts. So if people fall out of your compliance of an agreement, you sue them. That to show some gratitude, that's something good about our economy. And that's something good about lawyers. And that's another reason why I personally want to stay in the United States in any type of investment I do. And the other thing is... Like, I, I think with development, there are higher returns, but if you can, the biggest allure with developments is the timelines are a lot shorter. Now with multifamily real estate, you've got to go, you've probably got to wait two or three years at the very least to cycle through most of your tenants because most people will sign a year lease and you have to wait for those people to cycle through. It's good for cash flow, but these days cash flow ain't existent. It's not around because inflation has pushed up expenses so high. So there aren't cash flow anyway. So if that element of a benefit of going into a deal isn't really there these days, then you might as well go for the higher equity return and go for the ultimate value add, which is the biggest 
the, the highest and best use, which is a brand new development. But the coolest thing about the developments is their shorter timelines. Typically, I've seen it from building the concrete pads and then the structure coming up and then the pain, the infrastructure, everything getting built up. I've seen it happen in less than a year and then the lease up, give it another year for that. You can be out pretty quickly. And it's this concept of velocity of sure, you can double your money in a multifamily value add project. You're in an upward trending market. Anything's possible. You could sell a property in six months, two years by not doing anything. And that's happened in the past. But when things are difficult and aren't, and you have to actually work for your investment returns, it can take the four or five plus years. And at that point, the timeline of developments are so much faster and it gets you able to turn and burn your money. It, to a fact where if you're turning your money quicker, you don't need as high returns. But you get that anyway with developments anyway. The other lesson learned that I wanted to share, investor asked the question, kind of confused with what's going on out there. And there's, I'm just going to do that infinite banking that you guys have talked about. If infinite banking is new to you guys, check out the free e-course at simplepassivecashflow.com slash banking or send a team an email. We'll get you guys set up. Make no mistake, infinite banking is not investing. It's an add-on to investing. At best, you're getting 4 or 5%. Sure, tax-free, litigation-free, and it's great. And for some people who have a big sum of money not doing anything, like in their 401k, possibly going to lose more money this year, next year, or in locked up in their home, doing the home equity, trying to pay down their debt, you know that's the worst thing that you can be doing. That said, if your net worth is over five ten thousand dollars, go ahead or five ten million dollars, go ahead. But if it's less than that, you got to keep growing your money, and you have to look for places where you're making less return than five ten percent and getting making it higher. Infinite banking will get you about four or five percent, but it's supposed to be an add on, and that's why we call it a credit investor banking because a credit investors invest their money into equity based or preferred equity based deals, make a return on there but they're also funneling it through their infinite banking to make money to places. And that's the key here. Infinite banking in itself, it's great and everything. It's probably better than what that average Joe does out there with their 529 plan. But what you want to do is you want to combo the two, do infinite banking and then take the money out of there and then invest it in a equity or preferred equity type of venture from there and diversify in multiple ventures, of course. But at the end of the day, we recorded what we're doing now was um, every first Saturday of the month, I do some office hours to an answer your guys' investor questions, get a little bit dialogue going back and forth because you guys can get a sense on these one-way exchanges. It's hard for me to get the feedback and answer where the, the questions are within the questions. So if you guys want access to that, we should be sending out the first one through our email list. If you guys want to get added to that, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club, sign up there. And thank you for listening. We'll see you guys next week.